all been waiting for is here, the very first official episode of Kibbe on Liberty. I talked to Glenn Beck. We talk about libertarianism. I did some opposition research. I called him out. And there is a very strange analogy about video stores and libertarian porn. If you don't know what either one of those things are, you got to watch this first episode of Kibbe on Liberty. We don't have to be real close to these, do we? Uh, I'm told yes. <clears throat> okay. So, how's that, Logan? Cool. Is that all right? Yes, that's good. So this this is going to be our, our new studio. It's still half done, but great. but the bricks is cool. So it's great. And it's it you sort of inspired a little bit by some of the history that's probably in those bricks. Oh yeah. But uh, I, I think this is cool because because you are now in the hot seat. I've been on your show like a <laughs> thousand times, and I yeah. never know what you're going to ask me. And I know there's some sort of gotcha question coming. Oh, so man. so now it's Holy your God, turn. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble, aren't I? You're you're, right. you're in big trouble. All right. And I did all this opposition research this morning. Yeah, that's real hard. And it's I, called Google. Yeah. It, it, they, they've ruined those jobs, by the way. I know, used they used to make have. a lot of money reading yearbooks and stuff. I know. Um, but I think it's 2009. You're you're doing an interview on CBS, and and people are starting, you know, mainstream media is like, who's this guy Glenn Beck? And they're like, what what's your what's your political philosophy? And you say, sort of hesitantly, I I think I think I'm a libertarian, and you've you've uh, gone only, through that. Yeah, only only hesitant because libertarians like to create the smallest tent possible. It's usually just one person and I'm a libertarian and no one else is libertarian enough. And so I get a lot of I get a lot of heat because uh I have been for bigger government and 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 military intervention, you know, um in years past. Uh but the older I get, the more libertarian I get, you know. And I and and I uh, I think it is the it is the thing that would save us and pull us back together, if there wasn't a purity test. But there's a purity test now in everything. Yeah, you know, yeah. you want to be a Democrat? Are you for social justice? You know, are you for abortion? Then you're you can be in. If not, you're out. Yeah, Republicans, you for Trump? You're not. You're out. I mean, this is ridiculous. So I grew up in this this libertarian purity world and. And my joke, which is not a joke at all, is that, that um, libertarians aren't normally comfortable until they've chased every other person out of the room. Yeah, right. And then you're then you're like John Galt, and you're standing on a mountain. And you're like, finally, I'm the guy. But I, th I think the opposite is true. I think you know we argue about these 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 ideas and philosophy, and it's 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 very important to have those arguments. But small L liberty. Um, cooperation and, and community and, and, and people being free to pursue their, their dreams and take care of their families. That's, that's not just an American thing. That's no, a human thing. It is. And I think that's, that's our libertarianism to me. Yeah. I mean, to me, uh, the solutions lie in the smallest government possible without anarchy. 
You know, if you look at the if you look at the articles articles of confederation, it wasn't it was too close to anarchy. So you just move it just just out of the arm's reach of anarchy, and that's liberty. That's where you can stand. Because now I am free to go pursue my happiness because I don't have to worry about, you know, my neighbors looting the house or stealing my stuff or whatever. Right. So just right there. And then I think the only people that are um, afraid of that are the ones that don't believe in people. They don't believe that people are genuinely good. So I think you have to be an optimist that people, they want to be good. They want to, they want the same basic thing. You know, you go to the Palestinians, you go to the, uh, to the Jews in Israel, pretty much you get them alone because I've done it. They say the same thing. I just, I just want to raise my family. I just want a good job. Yeah. I just want to go on vacation. You know, everybody just let, just leave me alone. Just yeah. leave me alone. You know, the, uh, um, you know, libertarians who are on sort of the anarchist wing of the movement, they call themselves anarcho-capitalists mm -hmm. or ANCAPs mm -hmm. because you, you definitely want to use an acronym that nobody understands. Right. Um, libertarians love to do that. But, you know, a lot of that thinking and I think misunderstanding even about anarchy, uh, a better understanding, it sort of comes from the Scottish Enlightenment and not just Adam Smith and the theory of moral sentiments, but Adam Ferguson you know, when he talked about the wisdom of crowds and he's like, no one's directing this stuff. And yet people mm -hmm. left free just sort of work it out. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, today, um, everything you did today, um, it's, it's very libertarian because no one told you anything. Like, you know, people are driving on this side of the road and people are doing all the things they do every day and it's completely undirected. And that to me is, is the essence of human cooperation. So here is the um, here is the rub on that with uh, some libertarians and me because they they hear certain words and they're buzzwords and I understand it because I hear it from the left and I'm like okay um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that's accurate right um, you know the um, you brought up the theory of moral sentiments that's the problem with our free market right now we we don't have moral sentiments. Our moral sentiments are all running towards vengeance and greed and, and everything else. So the secret is, how do you find, and that's where I think our founders were, they were, they, it was strange because they were, I think, deeply religious, some of them deeply religious. Some of them, uh, uh, I would say, because of the time, would consider themselves religious, but we would call them more spiritual, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But they all had this moral code, you know, even Ben Franklin, you know, you look at what he did every night when he went to bed and every morning when he yeah, got yeah. up, he was working on a moral code. Church used to give us a moral code. Well, we've chased, you know, Moses and Jesus out. So who do we replace that? Who has our society said that's our archetypal man? We don't have one. And we have to, I don't care who it is, you know, and we don't even have to universally agree on it. You want Gandhi, you want Buddha, you want, you know, Steve down the street. I don't care. Yeah. But we have to say these traits are the traits that we we look and say that is, that's an archetypal figure that we should strive to be. Yeah. So I'm, I'm more of a Hayek dork on this. And I think, 
you know, Hayek talked about the sort of spontaneous evolution of, of the rules that, that hold society together. And when those are uh, replaced or corrupted with, with government mm-hmm. mandates, mm-hmm. Um, people start to shed the responsibility of, of being a good person, right? Right. Um, because if, if there isn't someone that say, I got that for you, I'll take care of, of your neighbor in need, then you, you can say, well, I'm paying my taxes. Why, why should I have a responsibility I, to do that? I saw this in, in play in my own life. I moved to New York City. And I grew up in a small town, and my dad was a business owner on Main Street. And, you know, I come from a place where if there was garbage, you'd pick it up and throw it in the garbage pan, you know, garbage, uh, yeah. garbage pail, um, you know, on Main Street. And... I got to New York. I was still kind of that guy in many ways. And about a year and a half, two years into it, after paying so much in taxes and being told every step of the way what you can and cannot do, I caught myself going into my building and it was a wreck. There was garbage from the street everywhere. And I said, when is this city going to do something? And I stopped and I went, I've got to get out of this city. Yeah. Because they've told you, you can't do it. Then they've charged you all this money. We're the authority. We're going to do it. And then all of a sudden, you don't have any responsibility to anything. Yeah. yeah. It's bad. And, and, and let's, let's assume these are all unintended consequences. You know, the government, um, you know, who's going to pick up the garbage? Who's going to pave the roads? All of these, these arguments that we have with people that believe that, that government has to do all of these things. Otherwise, it won't happen. Um, but let, let's take a let's take a radical step because I, I know you, you. I was on your show a couple weeks ago, and, and we were talking about border security, and we started talking about the drug war. Mm-hmm. And every most conservatives I know, um, maybe all of them, say you know drug abuse is bad. Government's got to do something. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that, and the surprise consequences of the government not doing something is that people behave better. People make better decisions. And, and you know, both conservatives and liberals, I think everybody has that moment that you had. Is why isn't the government doing something about this garbage? Mm-hmm. It's just sort of a fallback to you're frustrated about mm-hmm. something. You see a problem real or imagined and you're like, mm-hmm. let's pass a law. Let's get, let's get those guys to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to drug war, I used to be drug war doesn't work. But the country is so irresponsible that what would happen is until we could get to a point to where people could see somebody who is shooting up heroin and go, hey, bud, do you need help? Do you, do you want to get off that? Do you need anything? And they'd say no. And then I would just step over them and go into my office and feel good about it until you could do that you would have a society that would be on drugs because no personal responsibility and all the do-gooders saying, we've got to do something. Look at these poor people. No, you have to understand everyone has a choice and you can help. You can help and you should help, but the government can't because what the government is doing is going after the supply. We want the drugs for a reason. We want the drugs for a reason. That's a human thing. I'm an alcoholic. Nobody could have stopped me from drinking. You could have taken all of the, the booze away. I would have made my own. 
Kitty Dukakis was drinking hairspray for the love of God. I mean, you want to get high, you're going to find a way to get high. You want to kill somebody, you're going to find a way to kill somebody. That's you. That's you. The the drug war, we have spent how much money? It's it's only, I mean, it created, um, it created Al Capone and, and yeah. made Chicago what it was notorious for. Yeah. It's doing the same thing. If we legalize drugs and then... Even if we spent a fraction of that money on, on uh, rehab centers and being able to help people, I don't even think that's the government's job. But, okay, I'll go there. Compromise with you who we'll go there. I think communities and people, there's no program is better at rehab than Alcoholics Anonymous. And there is no CEO. There's no fundraiser. We all bring our own donuts. We all bring our own coffee. We all find a place to meet, and it works. Why, why aren't we encouraging that? You know, one of the problems with selling a liberty-based solution, which, which really comes down to people and communities and families and, and responsible choices are going to work things out. We don't know exactly how, but it's going to work itself out. But on the drug war, and you mentioned this on the program, that you know, we, we, don't, we don't have to just theorize about what would happen if you decriminalize all the drugs because, because they did it in Portugal. And it worked phenomenally well. All the drugs. I mean, yeah. They, I mean, they had such a problem. They kept spending more and more and more. Population was getting to critical uh, status where too many people were just hooked on heroin. And it was, it was an epidemic. Um, worse than the opioid crisis that we have now. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, and they went the other way. We keep spending money, it keeps getting worse. It's like education. We keep spending more money, and it keeps getting worse. Maybe we should go the other direction. So they stopped spending money. They did put money into helping people who wanted help and education uh, for those people and get them back in the city, into the society. And it's been a huge success yeah. at a fraction of the cost. Yeah. They went from the worst in the EU to, to the best um, by almost any measure. You know, drug deaths almost disappeared. Uh, young people, uh, use of, of any drug amongst young people went down, not up, when it was decriminalized. And I wish we would learn this because I look at the opioid crisis as, as, and, and the government's response to it as exactly the wrong thing to do if you're worried about young people abusing opioids or anybody for that matter. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain to people because they want to do something. They got to do something. Yeah. Um, I always um, get the strangest looks whenever there's a celebrity that dies from an overdose. Um, I used to be the guy called, they called because I was freshly outed as a recovering alcoholic. Questions. The first question every time, what could, what could we have done? And they hated the answer, nothing. The person who killed that person is that person. We all have different thresholds of pain. My mother, she was, uh, she was addicted to prescription drugs, horribly out of control, al alcoholic. She died. Her threshold for pain was lower than the floor of death. So she died. People die. Nothing can be done to help somebody who doesn't want the help. Yeah. We have to help the people who 
want it. Yeah. We're trying. Pe- people have to make the choice. And it, it, it's always going to come down to a choice. And, and I think a lot of young people today, you know, they, they live in this world where they make just a zillion choices a day. Mm-hmm. And, and in that sense, they sort of live in this radically libertarian because they make a lot of responsible choices. They don't even consider it a burden to do that. And it used to be that we had all these top-down institutions that told us what to think and what to do and, and how to behave. And now they're, they're all, almost all of those institutions are falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been disrupted by technology. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my theory is that this generation... Generation Z, millennial generation, that they are the real libertarian generation. They, they, live, they already live it. They live that world. Yep, they live it. They live it. And what's funny is the companies that allowed them to live it are becoming the oppressors. Yeah. They're the new state. The man, you know, yeah. They're the new man. When Google, YouTube, all these, all these platforms, platforms, that was really an important word. I'm mm-hmm. a platform. I'm just helping you connect with the things you want to connect with. When all of a sudden they say, well, no, I don't want you connecting over there or I don't want you posting that over here. You're no longer a free platform. Right. And they're starting to merge. I mean, when, when, you, have, when you have Google and Facebook and Apple being the biggest spenders on Capitol Hill, uh, that's an oppressor. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, an yeah. oppressor. I mean, that's the life cycle of a corporation. Yeah. You know, they, they start off as disruptive innovators. They don't want the government to stop them from doing these Correct. things. Silicon Valley is a great example of this. I think I think they were probably far more uh, liberty-minded back in the day, but now they're the establishment. Mm-hmm. And the establishment uh, rent-seeks and rent-protects and finds a friend in Washington and all that stuff. Tocqueville talked about that in yeah. Democracy for America. You know, somebody is, this is going to work fine, he said, until somebody figures out that it'll be better for them to kick the door of liberty closed behind them. Yeah. That way they can protect what they have, make sure nobody else climbs up. I was talking to Ray Kurzweil. You know who Ray Kurzweil is? Yeah, yeah. So I was talking to Ray Kurzweil, and, and he, is, he is such a brain, and, and yet I don't think he's thought some things through. Right. And I asked him, I said, so wait a minute. Let's just talk about Google here for a second. Uh, Google can know, will know everything I'm doing. Why would a company like Google, who has the algorithm to go, oh, he's trying to create a new Google. Why would Google help me create a disruption for Google? Why would the, why would these giant companies allow, if they have all the information, they know, and they could just steer your path one way or another, success or failure. Right. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Well, because they just won't. Because they're good. They're good people. <laughs> have you read about people? I mean, people when they have power. Yeah, who was that guy that said power back. corrupts? Yeah, there was there was a guy. There he was, was a, guy. He was a smart guy. Was. There was a guy. But you know, I think you know people look at uh, now Google and Facebook um, and Microsoft before that, and and go back the history of corporations. They go through this life cycle where they're they're creating value for their customers and and they're. They're making people's lives better, and all of a sudden they become the big boy on the block. Mm-hmm. And instead of worrying about producing a better product, they they jet to Washington and buy a committee chairman. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of young people, when they think about capitalism, I don't, I don't like to even use the word capitalism, but when they think about 
the free market system, they think about that cronyism. Mm -hmm. And so they're, you know, everywhere today, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is telling young people, you got to choose. There's, there's this corrupt system. And she talks about it in her original videos, like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the guy that she took out, the Democrat mm -hmm. that she beat, he was in bed with Wall Street mm -hmm. and he helped engineer the Wall Street bailout. And, mm -hmm. and that's not right. I agree with her a thousand too. percent. But of course, the false choice that she offers is that's why we have to be socialist, because if you don't like that, you got to be this. So you can have no police. I mean, think about this. You, what you're saying is, I don't like the way the insurance companies are denying people um, health care when they get into a hospital. So I'm going to make the government the provider of the insurance. Well, when I have the, when I have a private insurance company, they hate negative publicity. Yeah, I can I can Facebook, I can create a campaign, I can get on television, radio, social media, whatever I have to do, and embarrass them. And I guarantee you, I just we just had a guy who a hospital had his uh, uh, tube pulled, his feeding tube and his hydration tube pulled after being in a coma for two weeks, they said, ah, he's not going to make it. They pulled it, okay? This friend of mine calls me up and says, do you know this is happening? I said, no. He gets onto a plane, goes, meets with the parents who said, what is happening? They said, we don't know. We've been trying for two weeks to get him back on. It's now, I think, 18 days he hasn't had food or water. He's about ready to die. I get on the radio with the mom. All of a sudden, within an hour and a half, lo and behold, he has his feeding and water back. Boom. The government doesn't care. Yeah. When the government is in charge, they're not. You, who do you call? They're not embarrassed by anything. They and, don't care. And that, that's that's sort of the Achilles heel of, of of modern populist progressivism, democratic socialism. Um, you, you go look at a Bernie Sanders speech, and at a very superficial level, it feels a little bit like Ron Paul. Mm -hmm. He's railing against the Federal Reserve. He's railing mm -hmm. against crony capitalism, uh, permanent war, um, mass incarceration. Of course, those are all stories about government with too much power. Yes. And so they, that's, this is why I'm optimistic about this program, because I think, I think we also, former Tea Partiers, uh, libertarians, constitutional conservatives, we, we spend a lot of time raging against the machine. We, we don't like government corruption, and we don't like big government does stupid and sometimes horrible mm -hmm. things. Um, but that second half of the story... We have a better story. I don't think we tell it very well, but that story about cooperation and bottom up and the things that people could do to, to help each other and solve problems left alone to do that, the, the democratic socialists have that narrative now mm -hmm. and it's a complete disconnect. It doesn't make any sense with what they're proposing, but the vision of, of sort of localism, getting back to communities, that's our story. It's not their it story. Is, it can't be their story. I, I lived through their story. It made me say, when is the city going to do something? That's yeah. not New York is not communitarian. Uh, Los Angeles is not communitarian. I mean, I read Michael Lerner's book. I, I actually like his work. I, I, I agree with the feeling of his book. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't remember which one it was, but it was on communitarianism that I read eh, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Um, and it's, it's right until... It's imposed on you. Right. 
It can't. We are supposed to be the place that doesn't impose things on people. Look, man, you want to live in the in the woods and eat squirrels your whole life and, you know, drink, you know, juice from berries that you squeeze yourself and you think bears are God? Go for it, dude. Have a good time. I don't care. That's that. This is that's our country. I, I did that for a couple yeah, years. <laughs> that's that's our country, though. Yeah, we were we were the crazy ones. We were the ones who everybody over in Europe went. Oh, God, this guy's driving me out of my mind. It's not going to work, or it doesn't work that way, or it, you can't do that, or you're not in this class to be able to do it. So we got onto a boat or an airplane or whatever, and we came here. Now all of a sudden. We want to take all the crazy guys. The crazy guys are the ones who, who built everything. Yeah. From the railroads to Apple, they were crazy. That's we should celebrate that, and we should make sure that even though we don't agree, even though we think they're nuts, uh, you know what? That's what everybody thought, and in the end, he was. But that's what everybody thought about Tesla. Right. I'm glad he was nuts. Yeah. Yeah, like innovators are are unique and interesting people, and you you gotta let them be themselves. Um, perfect segue. And they to, have to fail. And they have to fail. They have to fail. And the the American system, the the freedom system, is is sort of embracing failure as a model to figure stuff out. If you can't fail, it should you can't succeed. Celebrate. Yeah, it celebrates. I mean, the Statue of Liberty. I'm so sick of the Statue of Liberty being twisted. The story of it, but the Statue of Liberty is facing out. It's not facing into the country. It's facing out. And it's standing as a guardian saying, hey, all of you crazy people, all of you that have been told you can't do it, come on over here. And then get behind me. Yeah. You, all those people who have been keeping all those people down, back off. I'm just going to guarantee that people like you are not going to mess with these people anymore and you watch what they create. That's the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. We, we've lost, or we're losing, I don't think we've lost it, but we, we're losing that sense of, of what it means to be an American. And I've, I've been obsessed with a, a speech that Senator Mike Lee gave last November. Um, and there was nothing particularly new and innovative about it except it was so profound. And it was about federalism. And it, and it was about the way that the American design was built to accommodate all sorts of diversity, an insane amount of diversity, so much diversity on where you were from and your religion and and what you wanted to do in your local communities. It, it was impossible to hold that all together because it wasn't a tribe, right? It wasn't a tribe in the sense that you would <laughs> see in in Europe or anywhere else. Um, and it was that, that tolerant, federalist approach where the government didn't tell people what to do mm -hmm. and there were just a couple rules mm -hmm. don't hurt people don't take mm -hmm. their stuff yeah there's um, a good book i don't know who wrote it but yeah, anyway go ahead uh I, i'm gonna read it someday it's, it, i hear it's good <laughs> more people should read it um but this is the only path forward like you know this this tribal warfare and he goes on to argue that if we keep doing what we're doing where the only thing that matters to us is who's in charge of the government and that person has a blank check executive power, um, we're, we're, we're at war. Yeah. And that can't stand. But the alternative, that positive story that we have about cooperation and community yeah. and being free to be a weirdo, all that stuff is the same thing. We got to sell that. And I think that generation we're talking about, the, 
the, the liberty curious generation of young people that are, that are living in this radically libertarian choice-based world, um, that's the project. That's who we have to sell. May I make a plea to, uh, you know, people like you and, and, and uh, the accepted libertarian? Mm-hmm. Um, stop driving people away. They come into the tent. They're like, yeah. they stumble into your store and you got all this liberty stuff. And they came in because they're like, I, oh, have you been outside the store? It's crazy what's going on on there. This place looked kind of cool. And what do you say? You know what? You were out on that street too long. Get the hell out of my store. And they're like, wait, but I, I might buy something. Stop driving people away. Yes. Welcome them. Yeah. You know, they might have very spotty pasts or whatever. Welcome them. Dude, thanks for coming in. Can I get you something? Hey, where have you been? What have you been doing? And then you'll find that you'll keep walking them back until you got them back to that libertarian curtain where there's the libertarian porn in the back. All of a sudden, (laughs) they'll be watching all of the libertarian porn with you. Just get them into the store. I think we're at that moment. Like, and I, and I, you know, I watch all the, the, the warfare that goes on and the various factions of libertarianism. But sometimes I'll use all the labels, libertarian, classical, liberal, constitutional, mm-hmm. conservative. I consider all of those things essentially the same thing. Me too. And that's the, the community we need to connect. And I think there's a lot, there's, there are still a few remaining civil libertarians on the left who are sort of hungry for that world where you can actually speak your mind it's it's a it's a radical concept. Man, I have to tell you, I read, I read. Uh, this is probably nineteen ninety five, uh, and I read. Uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Uh, philosopher came up with the uh, that the stars are a collection of suns. Um, you'd know him um, anyway from the Enlightenment, and he said, uh, "There are many things that I believe that I shall never say." but I shall never say the things of which I do not believe. And I remember pondering that. I, I memorized it because I pondered it for so long. And what I pondered was, what kind of world were you living in where you were afraid to say the things that you believe? Yeah. I couldn't relate to that. Now I think many Americans are coming to the recognition, holy crap like this one like that's what it was like what it's like right now and if you if you haven't felt it you will i mean every single group is purging themselves of anybody who's in the middle going wait can't we just leave each other alone how about how about that you know democrats republicans libertarians everyone and it's creating this this middle that is not necessarily milk toast middle philosophically, you know what I mean? Right. They just believe, can't we just all get along? Yeah. Yeah, that's, it, I struggle with this because it's, it's not really the middle because I don't accept this, this think, left-right yes, spectrum. And we've talked about this before. Um, but they're outside looking at crazy town here in Washington, D.C. It's like this... I know I'm not part of that, but I don't know where I belong. It's a race against time. I mean, with with uh, 
AI, AGI, and ASI on the horizon, um, and 5G with what China, you know, China's building a new Silk Road of information with a 5G network. Um, when those things um, come to be, uh, China is 1984, uh, George Orwell, and we are Brave New World. And once those things hit, if we haven't decided, leave people alone, those doors are going to close and they will close. Usually the cycle is 70 years. Yeah. I don't know when you get out of that cycle. So my uh, uh, cyber libertarian guru guy, John Perry Barlow, he was the lyricist for the Grateful Dead, mm. but he, he started the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Mm. And he he's, he's given some of the most interesting TED Talks about this clash. You know, technology is the great liberator. You can go find out for yourself, but it's also the this this Prison. deadly weapon for totalitarian governments yeah. to use against us. Um, I tend to be a romantic about that, but I'm aware of the challenge, and and I'm I'm desperately hoping for blockchain solutions that that free us again. But regardless of the technology, we're going to have to do it. That's we that's the be, project. We have to free ourselves. We have to be willing to free ourselves from the the narcotic, it's almost a narcotic of technology now, of the ease of our life and keep it into, into perspective and, and control. Because we are, you know, we're, we're now, I think you can make the case we're in, we live, all of us, in a panopticon. Uh, and that's was deemed cruel and unusual punishment. But I think that's where we're, if we're not there yet, we certainly will be soon. Yeah. Well, my modest little goal for this program is to break out of that um, that system, that thinking, and challenge people who aren't part of whatever this tribe is that we are to, to think about ideas differently. I, I'm, I'm romantic about it. I think that, you know the counter-revolution, sort of the anti-Facebook revolution is, is young people curating longer form conversation listening not got you intellectually challenging things and that's why we set this thing up this way this is this is not designed for for true believers it's designed for people outside of our bubble and we'll, we'll see we'll see how it goes i've been trying to do the same thing harder for me to do you know on talk radio and everything else but i've you know i've had real lefties who are um Classical liberals. Yeah. I mean, they disagree with me on almost everything, but they're classical liberal. And we have found great conversations and great friendships. Um, because as long as you're not trying to control me or silence me, and I'm not trying to silence you, it's great. It's great. And it's amazing. I found this, because I love going to different people's faiths and see how people... Um, uh, worship and I always get in. I always get in trouble because whoever's house of worship I was over in Bangkok, and you know uh, I had a Buddhist monk and I got down with a Buddhist monk and he showed me how to pray and how they pray. I love that stuff. Oh, that picture came out. No good God, the whole you know. But everybody's like that. But if you stop and you actually listen to each other. You actually go to a Jewish synagogue, you go and you speak to a Buddhist monk, and you go to a Catholic church and a Mormon church, and you really listen, 
you all of a sudden realize, wow, 90% of what they're saying, I agree with. You know, the spirit of it, it's just the, the trappings, the framework, the dogma that I don't agree with. And most of the people in that faith, they're also like, yeah, I can't really, I don't really buy into all that stuff either. It's, it's the core. And it's the same with, with people on the, on the left and the right, as long as you're not talking big government. Um, if you're, if you're a, a classic libertarian, but you think that, you know, whatever on the left and whatever on the right, there's this 90% that if you really listen to each other, you're like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Wow, I thought it was only us. No, we're all trying to get to the same place. Most of us. That sounds like a great place to wrap this up. Uh, consider yourself having just helped me start the next revolution. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, it Glenn. Is, uh, you have done great work, Matt, and um, a lot of people count on you to teach and to help us survive because it's going to take people like you to do it because people like me can't. By the way, Blaze TV... It is so cool to be back working with you. We we have a history I know. that maybe we'll talk about someday. And, and you know, on the Blaze TV, I know we have to wrap it up, um, but my goal for that, and I don't, I don't run the show, as you know, but my goal on that is that it it has people who disagree with each other, but they don't hate each other and they don't tear each other apart. We just agree on a few principles. Hey, Bill of Rights, are you good with that? Yep, good, I'm in. And we can disagree on everything else. Bill of Rights, can we start there? Well, even I passed the test, so <laughs> it, mu it must be <laughs> yeah, an easy test. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Your ratings will help us reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.